Good evening. It's good to see your faces again. Bring you greetings in the name of that wonderful Savior in whom we have blessed assurance. It's been a pleasure to be here and worship already. And you know what? If you really want to get the preacher going, you lead his favorite songs. <laughs> I really enjoyed those songs, some of my favorites. And now don't ask me what they are. I'll let the Spirit do that work. <laughs> but it's been a blessing to be here. And as was mentioned, we will have children's meeting here tomorrow night. And I'll give you a little clue to the rest of the week, too. I, on Friday evening, I plan to have a message down the line of personal encouragement. Um, and please feel free to come for that. Um, it's a little more personal. And then Saturday evening, we'd like to have a message for the youth. And then Sunday morning, we'd like to have a message on the home. And I haven't decided yet whether it's marriage or whether it's family life. So I don't know who to pick on just yet. But we'll... We'll figure it out. So pray for that. Pray for the work. You know, the spirit is in it. That's where it's at. There's really nothing in me that does anything. You know, we, we, we are servants and we work with the spirit of God to, to do this. And it, many times we feel inadequate. And so I ask for your prayers <clears throat> as I stand before you. Now, I had an assignment for the children and I know that they were working on it because some told me today they were. <laughs> and they had the answer. And I put a word up here on the board, a word that sometimes doesn't get pr pronounced right. Sometimes we don't know what it means. You know, sometimes it catches us by surprise in the Bible and we, we blow right through it. So can anyone here tell me the word, how to pronounce it and what it means? If I don't see your hand, just speak up. Now, where were all these boys at telling me they were hunting us up? <laughs> There's some back there. <laughs> What's that? Vittles. And what does it mean? Food. Yes. It, sounds, it rhymes with Skittles. So the next time you're reading the Bible and you see this word, you just think of Skittles. <laughs> it's a good way to remember. And it's used over 20 times in the Bible. And so it's a good word to know how to say. You won't be embarrassed if you say victuals. And if you've ever said that here, it's, it's not that embarrassing. We all say things wrong. But it means food or provisions or supplies. And it was used pretty heavily in the Old Testament. But I did find some verses in the New Testament. One particular in Matthew 14, 15. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals." And that was at the time of the feeding of the 5,000. And the disciples thought, well, these people have to go in the town and buy food. I don't know if they had restaurants or grocery stores. They probably did, probably markets of some sort. And they were sent to town to buy victuals. And so that's just one instance of this verse um, being used in Scripture. So I have another word for you tonight. I actually had a really hard word, and then I backed out of it. I said, I'll, I'll go, I'll get there, I'll get there. But I got another one for you tonight. <clears throat> Have you ever come across that word? <laughs> I'm not going to say it. That's your assignment for tomorrow night. Look that word up. Tell me how it's said and what it means. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that word tomorrow night. I appreciate your work on that uh, tonight for vittles. Well, the, the subject for tonight is accountability to God. 
And there's many places in the Bible we could turn tonight to address this subject. And I don't know why my mind keeps going back to Genesis, but it does. Because in the beginning, in the beginning, there was accountability to God. And so turn to Genesis 3. I've titled the message, Where Art Thou? Where Art Thou? Genesis 3, we have the very familiar... uh, passage here of the temptation, and we're going to read here verses 1 through, let's read 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew not that they were, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And we'll just continue reading there. There's more to the story, obviously, but we don't want to go that far into it tonight. Obviously, the first six verses here, we're very familiar with that temptation. The devil came and is a very subtle tempter. And yes, he made it sound like that they were missing out on something, on this tree. He said, don't you know that if you eat of this tree, you'll have knowledge of good and evil? And I don't know if Eve knew that or not. Maybe God told them. I'm not sure what she knew. But she did know that God said, thou shalt not eat of the tree. And then the devil said, well, you should, you should not surely die. You know, surely you won't die if you eat of this tree. And then he says, your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And I think it's interesting how the devil works. And maybe we'll talk about this later this week, of how he uses the things in front of us, and he uses the things that, are, that God tells us and twists them and manipulates them so that we easily fall into this trap. And that's exactly what he did to Eve here in, this, in these verses. And she saw the fruit. It was good. She desired it. She took it. She gave it to her husband, and he did eat. And I want to start in here at verse 7. And it says, the eyes of them were both opened. Now let me ask you a question. Were Adam and Eve blind before? It says their eyes were opened. Were they blind? Or what are we talking about here? 
I believe it was the eyes of their conscience that were opened. This was the knowledge of good and evil that God never intended for them to know. The eyes of their conscience were opened and suddenly they felt this sweeping sensation of disapproval and disruption in their hearts and in their spirits. Can you imagine that? We know what a guilty conscience feels like. These people had not known what that felt like. And for the first time, their eyes were opened and their consciences started working. Disapproval and disruption in their spirits. There had been perfect, absolute peace before this. And now they know. And it says they knew that they were naked. You know, how did they know this? Suddenly their nakedness became an issue. Suddenly it was an issue. They felt exposed. They felt inadequate. Not only with each other, but before God. What was going on? Their eyes were opened. Never had they felt this way before. Their happiness was gone. It was replaced with misery and shame. And they do what all men try to do. They grab some fig leaves and they sew them together and they try to cover up. They try to cover up. The very first story of a guilty conscience. And tonight we're looking at accountability before God. In verse 8, Then they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they were afraid. They were afraid. What were they afraid of? Fear was gripping their hearts. What were they afraid of? God came walking in the garden just as he did any other time. And he was walking into the garden. Normally they would have run to meet him, I believe. It was fellowship. Fellowship like we have no idea. Perfection. Fellowship. God didn't come in a flaming fire or a whirlwind or an earthquake or some mighty fearsome way. God came down, walked in the garden in the cool of the day. And they were afraid. They were scared. Let me tell you something. That is what guilt will do to a soul. That is what guilt will do to a man. The Bible says the wicked fleeth when no man pursueth. Why? Because of guilt. Because of guilt. And I guess Adam and Eve had no idea why they were afraid of God in such a way. I don't know. It just says they were fearful. And they ran and they hid themselves among the trees. This God that they had loved. This God that they had communed with. This God that they enjoyed the presence of all of a sudden became a terror to them. What a change. Their eyes were opened. And yes, they had a knowledge of good and evil, just like the devil said they would. Did they become as gods? I'm not sure. Maybe what he meant there. But they knew good and evil, and their conscience smote them. And in verse 9, the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Where art thou? Now that is an absolutely ridiculous question for an almighty, omniscient God to ask, is it not? Where art thou? Where did they go? God couldn't find them, could he? God didn't know where Adam was. They ran behind the trees and the bushes. God couldn't see him, could he? 
Where are you? Now that's not why God asked the question. God did not ask, where art thou? Because he couldn't, he couldn't find them. Because he didn't see them. God was giving Adam a chance. God was giving Adam a chance to speak for himself. And he did. He said, Lord, I heard you coming. And I was scared. I ran in here and hide. And hid from you. And then God started to ask questions. What happened? What happened to this communion that we had? What happened to this lovely relationship we had? I'm just putting it in my own words. Who told thee that thou was naked? What's going on here? And he started to ask questions. Because God didn't know? Because God didn't know? No, God knew. But again, God wanted Adam to speak for himself. God wanted Adam to understand what had happened. And I, it's a beautiful picture of the heart of God. Like I said, God could have come rushing in with fire and brimstone. He could have come in a whirlwind or earthquake in a terrible scene of judgment, you might say. They disobeyed. I'm coming to take care of it. No. God came as he came before, seeking communion with Adam and Eve. God takes the initiative to reach out to man. Let's, let's face that reality here tonight, that it is God who reaches down to us. And it's a theme in Scripture from Genesis 3 to Jesus Christ, where God is reaching out. What does the Bible say? That Jesus came and died for us while we were yet sinners. And God came to Adam here and he said, where art thou? Why? Because he loved him. He loved Adam and Eve. He loves us today. And when God comes walking in the cool of the day and asks us, where art thou? It's because he loves us. I want us to get that tonight. We'll look at some of the negative parts of accountability. But God loves us and he wants our friendship and our communion with him. That's why he came to Adam and asked those questions. Accountability to God. Adam and Eve had to answer to God. And yes, they had to face the consequences of what they did. But you know what? God still loved them, I believe. He did. He loved them. And he sought that communion with them. But the question for us tonight is, where art thou? Where art thou with God? How do we stand before God? Are you afraid of God? Are you scared of God? Are you afraid of his presence? Do you run and hide? Would you rather not be here tonight and hear the word of God? God was holding Adam and Eve accountable for their action, and he will do the same for us today. And you know what? There are many people today who go whistling down the street, you might say, and they give it nary a thought that there is a God in heaven that they need to answer to. And you really think about this when you go to a big city and you see all the people just bustling down through the streets and you can almost see on their faces that God is not in their thoughts. They are not God-conscious people. And tonight we need to be God-conscious people because God is going to hold us accountable someday. We are going to answer to him. How does accountability work to God? Well, there's three things. There's three parts here. The first is responsibility. God gives us responsibility. 
And then following is the accountability for the responsibility. And then there is judgment on that responsibility and how it's carried out. That's what happened here with Adam and Eve. They were commanded not to eat of this tree. That was their responsibility. They failed, and then they were held accountable. And guess what the judgment was? It was death. They were going to die. That is the judgment. So it's responsibility, then accountability, and then the judgment. And you know what? We do not like accountability, do we? Maybe it's because we don't like responsibility. But there is something in our flesh and in our being that says, I don't want to have to answer to anybody. I want freedom. I want liberty. I don't want to answer to God. It places demands on my life that I don't want to have. But you know what? We, were, we are created beings. And the creature is always accountable to the creator. And I know I keep coming back to the creation account. But creation is accountable to God. And God created the angels, he created mankind, and they're accountable to him. He created us for his honor and his glory, and that's our responsibility. Our responsibility on this earth is to live obedient lives that bring him honor and glory. There's the responsibility, and our accountability is how we do that, and what our attitude is toward that. And furthermore, God has the power and the authority to hold us accountable. You know, it's interesting. The only person that can really hold you accountable is one who has the power and the authority to do so, right? Otherwise, you won't listen to them. It's true in an employer situation. The employee is accountable to the employer because guess what? The employer can fire the employee. <laughs> your children are accountable to your parents. They're older than you. They're bigger than you. And they can drive you where they want to drive you. They can tell you what to do. Accountability is exercised by those who have the power and the might and the capacity to do it. And God does. God does over his creation. God has power and authority over his creation. And furthermore, the Bible says that all men will be held accountable. All men. In Romans 14.10 it says, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Didn't stop with Adam. Didn't stop with Eve. You and I, singularly, will give an account to God. For what? For what? What are we going to give, to, give account to God for what? We're going to look at that. What are we accountable to God for? And that's a question that needs answered tonight. If I'm going to stand up here and preach it, where art thou? You're going to need to know. And I just jotted down a few things here, and I'm sure it's not comprehensive. But the first point I wrote down here is we are accountable to God for what we know. And that's an open-ended point. We are accountable to God for what we know. There's a little verse that you probably learned when you were five or six years old in James 4, 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We are accountable for the knowledge that we have of truth and of God. 
It's what we know. Adam and Eve were held up accountable for the little bit of knowledge they knew. God had told them some very simple things. And they were held accountable to that. And we have been taught from little up, haven't we? We're very accountable for what we know. I just want to think about this a little bit. What do you know tonight? If you want to know what you're going to be held accountable to, you're going to have to know what we know. Okay? What do we know tonight? Most of us here tonight have been born and raised in Christian homes. And we have been taught right and wrong from little up. We've been carried into church. We've sat in Sunday schools. We've gone to Christian day schools. We hear the word preached every Sunday. Our youth go to Bible schools. There's dozens of commentaries and Bible dictionaries and concordances at our disposal to understand the will of God. And you know, for us Mennonite preachers, we stand up here and preach and we realize that probably 90% of what we tell you, you already know. This week you're having a week of revival meetings and most of you already know what the gospel message is. That we have sinned. There is a Savior who came to die for us. We know it. We know it. We are accountable to God for what we know. And that is a very serious thing in our Mennonite communities because we are some of the most educated, biblically educated people in the whole wide world. Can you imagine what we are accountable for in the sight of God? I haven't ever preached or spoken to a group of people who had never heard the gospel before. I'll just be honest with you. And I say a group. I'm not sure about ones or twos or what are in the congregation, but a whole group of people who have never heard the gospel. My friends tonight, we are accountable because we know so much. We know so much about God. We've been, we've been expounded this word from little up, heavily. I mean... Sundays and Wednesdays and all, everywhere we go, we memorize the scripture. We know the gospel. And the question for us today is, are we living up to the responsibility of what you know? Are we living up to the responsibility of what we know? Or do we ignore it? Do we disobey? Do we walk away from it? And then when God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day, he says, where art thou? Where art thou? I tell you, I fear in our Mennonite circles, and I've seen it happen many times, when people walk away and leave the faith, there is some extreme measure that they go to, and it's repulsive. They reject it all. And they, they end up in lifestyles that are far from our teaching. And why is that? Because I believe they are accountable for what they know. And they flee as far as they can from it all. They've been taught so much. But you know what? They'll never get away from it. We'll never get away from the knowledge that we have of the gospel. And the knowledge we have of the truth. We will never get away from it. What will you say when God asks, where art thou? Will fear strike your heart? Will you run and hide? Are you scared of God? Because you know what you know and you're not living up to it? That's the question for us tonight. What are we accountable to God for? For what we know. 
Another one I jotted down here is we are accountable to God for the words we speak. Very important verses here in Matthew 12, verse 34. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and scribes, I believe. He says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. That is serious. And I was thinking about that today. I thought, how many words have I said in the last day or week or year that were idle words? Worthless words. Words that were not upbuilding, encouraging, and good words. And Jesus says himself that every idle word we will give an account of in the judgment day. And that ought to sew our lips up pretty good, shouldn't it? We're so free to speak, our minds. I know I am. We should look at this verse a little more. You know, in society today, we have lost all respect for the words that we speak. And I I just, sometimes I stop and think about it, because even in my short lifetime, it has gotten so bad. The use of taking the God's name in vain, and they don't even blink an eye. And it's not even for dramatic occasions anymore it's just every other sentence we're going to be account, held accountable for the words we say the vow and shameful language that the world speaks taking God's name in vain whatever it is someday they will stand before an almighty God and give an account for those words I don't know how but that's what Jesus says in these verses and furthermore he says that out of the treasures of our hearts where these words come from and that is the serious part about where these words are coming from out of our hearts you know the same is true for us Christian people James 1 26 says if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart this man's religion is vain so James is saying there is a key to whether a man is a godly man it's his mouth the key to his heart and his life is his mouth And he says, if you cannot bridle your tongue, your religion is vain. You know, it's so sad. It'd be so sad if we get to judgment day and we're held accountable for these idle words that we say. Because they're such little things, aren't they? So minor, we say. But let's be careful of our words. What are you saying when God comes walking in the cool of the day and asks you, where art thou? Where art thou? Because you know the reality of it is, he's not asking that question because he does not know. (laughs) We talked about God consciousness. God knows what you say. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And oh, how we condemn people sometimes, and, and that condemnation will come right back to us. We will be accountable to God for the words we speak. Thirdly, we will be be accountable to God for our actions, for what we do. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, it says, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 
Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. And so here it's saying that what we do here in Genesis 3, what Eve and what Adam did is they went and they took the fruit and they ate. It was an action. And the Bible says that we will be judged by our actions. And in fact, in the Old Testament, it says we're weighed in the balances. Our actions are weighed in the balances. And yes, we will be judged by them. And it says here, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Yes, the fear that it strikes in the heart of a guilty conscience when we realize that we will be held accountable for what we do. And there's a lot of people in this world today who think they're getting by for some reason or the other. That this almighty omniscient God will just never see what they're doing. The secretiveness of it all. Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And I am not here tonight promoting a works religion. And we'll get to that. But the Bible says that we will be judged according to our works. And I am not... I don't understand all of this. But I think there's degrees of rewards that the Lord is handing out at the end of time. And there's a couple of scriptures I could point you to, to for that. But everyone will be held accountable for their actions, even the Christians. Yes, the sinner will face the judgment seat of God and face his actions. The Christian will face the judgment seat of Christ. However, if we've accepted Jesus, we're covered by the blood. We're covered by the blood. And I wanted to put that in there because it's not fair for me to say that we will face the condemnation of our actions. Because that's not true. If we have accepted Jesus, we will not face the condemnation, but we will be held accountable. I believe we will be, whether good or bad. But our name should be written in the book of life, and we will, not, we will escape the condemnation because of the blood of Jesus. The fourth point I have here for what we will be held accountable to is our teaching. And your preachers probably know this one pretty good. We're held accountable for what we teach and what we preach. And it's serious business. James 3.1 says, My brother, brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. What he's saying is, be not many teachers. <laughs> I don't know what he's saying. Don't be a teacher. You're going to be held account. A lot harder than what the rest of us will. It's what it seems like he's saying. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit your, yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for it is unprofitable for you. And so, yes, the writer's pointing out here that those in authority to teach and preach the gospel will give an account of their ministry. So when we stand up here and preach, you need to keep that in mind. That someday your preacher is going to stand before God and have to say, have to give an account for what he said across this pulpit. And it's serious business. Because if we say not the truth, if we do not preach the truth, we will be held accountable for it. And if we preach the truth and those do not receive it, 
they will suffer the consequences as well. And they will have to give an account with grief and not with joy. And it's unprofitable for you to do that. I'm not sure how all this has worked out at judgment. I have no idea how God's going to work it all out. But it says here that we will be held accountable for the teaching. And yes, not only the preacher, the Sunday school teachers, the dads in the home, the moms. When you're teaching the Bible, whether it's in passing or whether it's intentional, you're accountable to teach the truth and not to lead some poor soul astray. So yes, you're accountable in a way as well. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of, the tr- word of truth. And the end result that we all desire is that we can face God with peace in our hearts. And we can face God without a fear and a terror that we have done the wrong thing, we have taught the wrong thing. That is a desire for myself, I know. The last part of the message here, we're going to look at the certainty of being held accountable. And we mentioned briefly that accountability only means something if the person holding you accountable has the power and the might to do so. And we need to look at that because there's folks who think they can get away and escape accountability. But I want to look at this point of the certainty of this. How certain is it that you will face accountability? Well, number one, we cannot hide from an almighty, omniscient God. We cannot hide. The bushes and the trees are not sufficient. We cannot hide. Jeremiah 23, verse 23, Am I I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God far off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? And so the question for us tonight is that if we are trying to hide something in our life from God Almighty, it's not going to happen. And when God comes walking in the cool of the day and asks, where art thou? There's going to be fear in your heart. Because you know that he knows. God knows. We cannot hide from Almighty God. You know what? Men can escape the accountability of other men. Did you ever think about that? There's many wrongs done in this world, and they get away with it. You can't do that with God. You can't do it with God. We could turn to Psalm 139. I won't take the time to. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsetting, my not rising. Understand my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art equated with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. What all does God know about us? He knows our downsitting and our uprising. He knows our thoughts. He knows the path that I'm taking. He knows my lying down. He knows my ways and the words in my mouth. There is nothing hid from God. And we need to be aware of that. And later in that chapter, he speaks about the, the wicked. And he says, they say, surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be light about me, is what he says. Because God can see everything in broad daylight. Everything in our lives. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4, For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come, who who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Would you be scared of God tonight? 
If he knew what was in your heart, well, you better be all ready because he knows. And we can go through life and others around us can never see our heart like God can and we think we're getting away with it. But God knows my heart and he will make it manifest. And you know, we don't like being exposed. We don't like being exposed in front of other people. But we better be exposed now. We'd rather be exposed now than later when it's too late. Hebrews 4.13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And fig leaves won't cover it. Fig leaves won't cover. There is nothing that is hidden from God. It is naked and it's exposed. And I like how it words that unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do, there is a day of reckoning with God. We're going to be held accountable with whom we have to do. And let's face that tonight in our lives. Revelation 6, verse 15. 15 through 17. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Now here we're talking about the judgment, but it's accountability before God. And you know, it was interesting to me when I was reading this verse, I thought about all these preppers, you might say today, rich men, that can afford to put a $30,000 bunker in their backyard, <laughs> you know, underground, because the end of the world's coming, you know, nuclear warfare, whatever you might call it. It's not going to help them. It's not going to save them. And here it says that the kings of the earth and the great men, all these men that had everything, they're going to cry for the mountains and rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of a, the wrath of God and the punishment of God. Adam couldn't hide in the bushes. Achan couldn't hide in his tent. And Jonah couldn't run away in a ship. Do you get it? You can't hide and run from God. You cannot. You cannot escape the judgment of God. Now I want to read some verses out of Amos 9, and I have them written down here. You don't need to turn to them. Now it's very interesting how he writes about this in Amos 9, verses 1 through 5. He says, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and he said, Smite the lintel of the door, that the post may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them. And I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not for good. And the Lord God of hosts is he that toucheth the land, and it shall melt. And all that dwell therein shall mourn, and it shall rise up holy like a flood, and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. Reinforcing the fact that God is saying, wherever you go, I will be there to hold you accountable. I will be there. And you know what? In 1 Peter 4, he says, For the time has come that the judgment must begin at the house of God. 
And somehow we as Christian people are going to face accountability. And it's like I said before, we know so much. We're accountable for what we know. Judgment begins at the house of God. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? It says later in that verse. Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. That is our responsibility tonight. And I just want to end tonight with the reinforcement of this, that we are accountable to God. The life we live and the words that we say. And what will you say to God when he comes walking in the cool of the day and asks, where art thou? Are you scared of God? Are you afraid of him? Do you want to run away from God? God is not seeking to chase you away. God is seeking you out of love. God is seeking you because he cares for your soul. And you don't need to leave this place tonight with fear in your hearts of the presence of God. You don't need to leave this place tonight scared of God. That's not where God wants you to be. Now is the time to make peace with God. And to restore back the harmony and the relationship that God wants to have with us. And so I'm going to give you an invitation tonight. But before we do that, let's, let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you tonight. And Lord, we know that you are a mighty and an awesome God. And Lord, I just pray that we would learn to know you and that we would not be afraid of you. Lord, so many times we allow sin and guilt in our life to draw us away from you, to separate us from your love, to bring fear and condemnation in our hearts. And Lord, I just pray tonight that if there's any here that, are, that is scared of you, that is afraid to be in your presence, Lord, that they would make it right with you. They would find peace with you. And they would find that harmony and communion that you, that you desire with us, your creation. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.